Okay, well, I had some questions for Boaz, who is my wonderful husband, who I met online on Zeusk. I'll put in a plug for Zeusk. Um, quick background. I was in my early 50s. He was like 49, almost 50. So two years apart. He had been married for 27 years and recently got divorced. I had been married for 17 years and had been divorced two years. Before that, I had several other failed relationships, divorces. And so um, I'd had some bad relationships. So we're talking manipulation, emotional abuse, stuff like that. So this time around, I was looking for someone with a kind face. And that's how I picked people to contact on Zeusk. And Boaz, he had a kind face. So I messaged him. On his profile, he said he worked a lot. He worked late and he was looking for an excuse to get out of the office. So I messaged him and said, hey, do you still need an excuse to get out of the office? And he said, absolutely. But he was in the middle of a meeting when he answered. And then later, when he looked at my profile and saw that I was very active LDS, he reconsidered because he was taking a step away from the church. So he wrote back and said, oh, by the way, I'm not really active in the church and I probably won't be unless I move outside of Utah. Then it's a slight possibility. But just just so you know, I'm not sure if you really want to see me anymore or not. Either way, it's all good. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And so I wrote back and said, that's okay. I am just looking for a kind person to hang out with. So the rest is history. We had a first date that lasted from seven o'clock getting gelato in Salt Lake City until six o'clock the next morning, uh, sitting in the lobby of the Marriott Hotel talking and getting to know each other. <laughs> And uh, from then on, it went really fast. One nice thing about Dave and that impressed me when I did a background check and a Facebook review and all sorts of internet stalking was that his previous wife looked nice. That sounds silly, but that was true. And that his kids looked nice and happy and that the pictures of them together looked nice and happy. Which did not did make me wonder, like, why did this guy get divorced? They all look so happy. But at the same time, it made me think, hmm, it looks like he has good relationships with his kids and other people. So that's a plus in his favor. And so I wanted to find out more about that because my divorce hadn't been so happy. All right. So Boaz, explain to me why when you had the perfect Mormon family and everyone's happy and loves each other, why you would be a divorced person on Zisk? Um, Because first of all, we didn't have the perfect Mormon family. Like many Mormon families, we were really good at dressing up and playing perfect Mormon family. Uh, we'd go to church and as a family, I would say we cleaned up pretty well. Um, we could put on our Sunday best and we could act like uh, like everything was fine when in reality it wasn't. We were not happy. Um, and it's not that we were constantly fighting or angry or there was just, we had an okay marriage where neither one of us felt fulfilled. Neither one of us felt particularly 
negative about it. it. Just we we had an okay marriage. That's not what either one of us wanted. We wanted a great marriage. We wanted to be really happy. And it was interesting because we kind of had what a lot of people would look at and say, geez, you know, if you can't be happy with four healthy children and your own health and living in a beautiful neighborhood and all that good stuff, how are you ever going to be happy? But the problem was my former wife and I were just, we were very incompatible in a lot of ways and things that really, really mattered. You know, we had kind of jumped into our marriage way too fast. Like we did, like a lot of people in the church do. I came home from my mission. We, I'd seen a picture of her in the wallet of one of my mission campaigns and thought, wow, she's beautiful. And we started writing and geez, I got home from my mission in May. We met in, I think it was June or July, engaged in August and married in November. And then started having kids almost immediately. Uh, pregnant in May, had our first baby in November, um, or excuse me, December, excuse me. So we'd been married just barely over a year when we had our first kid. And just like I said, did the traditional Mormon thing. Um, but never really took the time to get to know each other well enough to know what our true interests outside the church were. Uh, it turned out that we had almost nothing in common. But, you know, the prophet said, any two righteous people can make a marriage work and be happy. And so we stuck it out. And the good thing that we did have is that we were really good friends. Um, that's why we stayed in the marriage, because it wasn't bad enough to justify getting divorced, you know, when you have four young kids. So we stayed in the marriage. And just about the time our oldest got to be, uh, well, he was a senior in high school, almost done with high school when we got divorced. But the divorce just came about because we were in another one of our not so great spots where neither one of us was feeling at all happy or fulfilled or, you know, whatever adjective you want to use to describe a, a great marriage. And we just started going, you know, at this point, we're getting to that age where if we don't, if we don't do it now and go try to find somebody that can give us the kind of happiness that we really want or allow us to build a life, it may not happen for us. And the kids are old enough that it's probably not going to traumatize them if we get divorced. So let's just call it what it is and realize that this thing is on its course and end it. But we made the decision to do it in a kind and, I don't, yeah, kind is probably the best word. We just, I wanted to maintain my friendship with her because, like I said, throughout 27 years of marriage, the one thing that never changed, even when we were fighting, even when we were upset with each other, even when things weren't going well in the marriage, the friendship was always there. And I didn't want to lose that. So we made the decision that we were just going to be nice about the whole thing. Um, the biggest argument we had over who, was over who was going to pay her student loans because she'd gone back to school and acquired a pretty fair amount of student loan debt. And we were arguing over who should pay it, but we were both saying that we should be the ones to pay it. My argument was, I've got more earning power than you do, so I should cover it. And she was like, yeah, but they're my student loans, so I should pay it. And that was literally the most intense discussion that we had in trying to figure out the whole divorce. And that is highly unusual. I mean, for both of you to be so unselfish. I'm well aware of the fact that we are an anomaly. But it was just, I don't want to sound like we're special people who have, you know, some superpower that makes us great at divorce. We didn't have the bitterness, the anger. There hadn't been infidelity. There wasn't any abuse. There wasn't a lot of the traditional reasons that people get divorced. 
there was plenty of emotion associated with it. Um, and there were times when I was angry. There was times when I was hurt. There was times when I went through that whole range of emotions, as did my former wife. But yeah, it was it was abnormal in that we made the conscious decision up front to do it as civilly and as kindly as possible. And really what it had to do with more than anything else was we wanted it to be as low impact as possible on the kids. The side benefit of that is if you are, if every decision you make and every conversation you have is done with the thought, you know, what's best for the kids in mind, that tends to work out really well. But the, the side benefit is as you do what's best for the kids, you accidentally do what's best for each other. Um, because what's best for the kids is that they that they don't see mom and dad saying mean, hurtful things about each other, disrespecting each other, being unkind to each other, learning lessons that, hey, you know, if you're really mad, it's okay to say something really mean. So when you don't do that, you end up with a much, much, much easier divorce. Yeah, and that's one of the things that impressed me the most about you going into it. Well, and you and I've had this conversation a bunch. It's not me, and it's not her. It's it's both of us because you can't you can't do what we did if just one party's willing to be that way, mm-hmm. right? You have to be both committed to the idea that you're going to have a very civil divorce. Um, interestingly enough, the only other person I know that had a divorce as civil as mine was my younger brother, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in fact, it was interesting. I had never really talked to him much about his divorce. Um, I just knew that they'd been incredibly kind to each other. And anyhow, so after my divorce was finalized, I was having a conversation with my brother. And it was interesting how similar the conversations that we had with our former spouses were in terms of the decision to be kind to each other and be civil and make it as, as painless as possible. That's awesome. But yeah, it just takes a commitment on both parties. And unfortunately, with most most divorces, you have, I mean, when there's been emotional abuse, infidelity, physical abuse, you know, the really traumatizing things, It's that's a big ask to take somebody who has been through um, that kind of abuse or that kind of experience and then say, hey, be super nice as you go through this process. Um, so anyhow, I was lucky. Let's put it that way. I was very lucky. Well, what would you tell people that are struggling in their marriage and probably on the brink of divorce? What would, what advice would you give them? Don't wait as long as I did. If you know it's over, get out. Even if they had young kids? That's a hard question because, I mean, if you've got really young kids and you're already seriously contemplating divorce, what are the chances you're going to stay married that whole time anyway? And especially if you're in a, in a situation where there's a lot of anger in the home, because even if there's not physical abuse uh, or blatant emotional abuse, if there's a lot of anger, that's a terrible environment for kids to grow up in. Yeah, yeah they sense it. I had no idea how traumatizing it was for my, my youngest daughter. She could feel the tension and like would would go to bed every night praying that mommy and daddy weren't going to get a divorce. And I mean, it was brutal for her. And and like I said, we weren't fighting, right? Yeah. We, we didn't have like outright blatant anger and, and we didn't get into shouting matches and calling each other names or anything like that. Um, she just could tell that we were angry with each other and it was terrifying for her. 
And we ended up divorced. But she had to go through years of terror and, and fear. And honestly, the fear is way worse than the reality when it comes to divorce, especially the way we did our divorce. And I did that too. My parents stayed together and were married 16 something years and died together. But during their marriage and when I, especially when I was the only one at home by that time, I felt the tension. I saw the bickering and it really affected me. And I remember praying every night, please help my parents to someday learn to get along. <laughs> but like even into adulthood until I left the church, um, I would pray for that. And so it's, it's not always, I, I don't know if it would have been better for them to get divorced. I can't say that, but it does affect kids. And so that should be weighed in. Yeah. Staying together is not always the perfect solution. Um, I think often it's not even the better solution. Um, again, so much of that depends on how you handle the divorce. Yeah, I, I think one of the pieces of advice would be if if the writing's on the wall and you know the relationship doesn't have the legs to go the distance, admit it, get out before it gets so bad that it's a traumatizing experience for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, divorce is never easy on kids or on adults, but I think that the longer you wait the more anger and resentment and bitterness that you build up, the harder it's going to be to be civil during the divorce. Um, and so, I mean, I think the first piece of advice, like I said, would be just get it over with. If you're in a marriage where it's a one-sided thing, where one person is primarily responsible for divorce, say somebody cheated, try to, I mean, as hard as it would be, accept the reality of the fact that your relationship is ending and then realize that nothing that you say in anger is going to be useful. It's not going to make you feel better. There is no advantage. And so even if you're in, in the middle of a divorce with a person who's just being a horrible ass, the only thing you can control is how you respond to that and responding in anger and lowering yourself to the level of the person that you're fighting with does nothing. There's absolutely no advantage to it in any way, shape, or form. There's not even that, in my in my estimation, there's not even a venting benefit there, because you say something mean to the spouse who's already being an ass. How's that going to make you feel better when they all they do is escalate it? Yeah. So you say something mean and nasty. If you get any relief from that, it's going to go away the second that they res that they respond with something meaner and nastier. And it's going to escalate and it's just going to be a negative experience. So the only way you're going to ever have a civil divorce is if both people are committed to it. But that doesn't mean that you can't choose to be civil on your end because it'll still be less traumatic for you and less traumatic for the kids that are going through it. Because yeah. fights will last a whole lot. They'll be a lot shorter. Yeah. And aren't there studies that show that expressing anger sometimes just increases that feeling? I suppose it depends on how you do it. but. Yeah, I don't, I, I can't say I've ever read a study about that. I think that there's a time and place to express anger, but that's what your friends are for. Yeah. That's what your therapist or counselor is for, you know, somebody other than the person that's involved in the divorce, because you're not going to get any therapeutic value out of anything you do that's emotionally charged with the spouse. At least that's my opinion. So what else would you say as far as how to handle the legalities of it and the kids and Every situation is different, but the overarching theme in every decision that's made should be what's best for my kids, right? 
you have to consider your needs, but remember you chose this and they didn't. And I think that their emotional needs need to be considered more highly than you or your spouse. And that will pay off. If you consider their needs, then you avoid having to feel as much guilt over the things you said and did that damaged them. I mean, your needs have to be met as well, but I think it's more important to consider the kids and, and in all things, right? With your finances. I gave up more than I probably should have in my divorce. And in some ways I regret it now, but overall, I really, I can't say that I, that I honestly regret it because when I walked away, I knew that I, I had done, I'd done right by my wife, by my kids, their needs were met. I never had to feel a moment's guilt over, I don't know, screwing my wife out of something, my my former spouse out of something that I I should have been willing to give. Um, Again, this is a whole lot easier to make decisions like that when the other spouse is being civil and kind. I think the thing that we have to always remember is that we're not always going to be angry. We're not always going to feel hurt. We're not always going to feel bitter about it, but we're always going to have the memory of how we handled it. Yeah. And when the bitterness goes away and all that's left is the memory of what we did and said and how we treated people during that time, you're either going to be left with regret or you're going to be left with a sense of, hey, I, I did everything I could to be kind and civil and do it right. Yeah, and I do have regret over how my divorce went down. Although, you know, it does take two. And I think a lot of my time was spent reacting to the other person's actions. And if I had just gotten control of myself to where I could just not let myself react and try to make the right decision. Yeah, I don't know. It It was hard. And I know it was hard on the kids. And I think now we're all in a much better situation. Time heals all wounds. Yeah, whatever, I, I wish I could have yeah, I, I wish done, I it could have done it the way you did it. I think that a little bit of kindness and grace can go a long way. Yeah. In, in, I mean, it depends on how far gone the situation is and how, how, how much damage and trauma has been inflicted. Uh, but that goes back to if you know it's not, if you know your relationship's in trouble and it isn't going to last, don't wait for the massive trauma because that's just going to make it harder and more traumatizing when you do get into the divorce. Oh, yeah. Um, I think society has, especially in our society, we, we have placed an unrealistic value on, on marriage. I don't know that marriage should be seen as the highest value is the most important thing um i mean marriage is wonderful if it's working but the idea that we need to avoid divorce at all cost it's a mistake yeah because at the end of the day i don't think that there's very many marriages that are saved i mean your parents are probably an example of one that could have very easily ended in divorce, but they chose to gut it out and stay together. But what little I know about their marriage is that there wasn't a major, I mean. No, there was nothing. There was no major traumatic event or betrayal or anything. It was more of a compatibility personality thing. And by the end, I think, you know, in their 80s, they did get along. So I guess if you're patient enough and you try hard enough and your kids are all grown, it's probably a lot easier. For the most part, it's like, help me understand why 
there's some sort of honor or valor in staying in a bad marriage. No, I agree totally. Right. And yet in society, we, we kind of tell people, and especially in the church, we tell people, you know, it's almost like people who are staying in a horrible marriage because, you know, that's what we do in the church or that's what's important for my family. They wear that like a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor to stay in. Yeah. And it's like, really? Why? Oh, and it's a badge of honor to enter marriage quickly. And even though you might not be the right personality, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure, especially on young kids and especially at BYU. I felt it. And it, it, I entered a lot of marriages because I thought that that was the plan. And it, it, you know, if your relationship hits a certain point, and especially physically, you better get married or there could be worse consequences if you don't get married. Yeah. You might have sex and then, you know, oh, wait, what's wrong with that again? <laughs> yeah. And then you get married and you realize how incompatible you are and how miserable you are. And if you're brave, you end it, which I did eventually, uh, you know, probably more quickly at the first time than the last marriage, uh, because by then temple marriage and everything. Oh, I gotta make it work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think marriage and commitment is a beautiful thing, but I think we need to pause and reflect and take more consideration and choosing that person. And of course we're not speaking from experience because we got married after two months, but, but, but seriously, by that time, I felt like I had known what I didn't want and what I did want. And all of a sudden, I recognized it when I found this person. And I made a conscious decision to search for that type of person. And I suppose you could have been faking it. But I, my gut feeling was that you were being you. And your gut feeling was, I'm assuming, that I was being me. And that we shared the same values about life in general. Because I was active, you were not. No, I was not. But it was more important to me by that time to find someone that I could be happy with for the rest of my life. And I dated guys who were also inactive. And maybe I used it as an excuse to not pursue the relationship with them because I knew that it really didn't have legs, to use your expression, that it wasn't the right fit. And maybe I thought that that was why it wasn't the right fit. But then when I met you, it was like, oh, I, this personality clicks with me. To use the English expression, he's a little bit of me. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So yeah, back to advice. If it's not going to work, then get out. If you're going to get out, choose to be civil and kind, even if the other partner isn't being civil or kind, because it's going to pay dividends in the end. In, in a lot of ways, it's, I'm sure it's incredibly hard. Although I don't know. I mean, I, I had my anger. I was frustrated. I mean, my, there was a reason we got divorced, right? It was not an ideal marriage, not by a long shot. Uh, it was not anything close to what I had envisioned going into it. Um, there were times when I felt like, not that I had been deceived, but, but like my former spouse changed. And, and this was, this is why you don't get married fast when you're in your early 20s. You no. just don't have the ability to really judge how, you know, be able to look at somebody and really get a sense of who they are. I thought I was marrying a particular type of person, and it turned out that she was quite, I mean, almost the opposite in some ways. 
and, and let's be really, really fair, I know for a fact that she thought she was marrying one person and I let her believe that that's who I was because I wanted to believe that the person she was marrying was who I was. And I really thought that I could become that person. Uh, and it turned out I couldn't. So, I mean, I'm not throwing her under the bus saying, oh, she, you know, she pretended to be somebody she wasn't. Who at the age of 20 knows who they really are? And who at the age of 20 is the same person at the age of 30 that they were at the age of 20? Boy, that made a lot of sense. No, who okay. at the age of 30 is the same person that they were at the age of 20? Right. Right. We, we grow, we change. And, and she and I both grew and changed radically. And the people we turned into just were really horribly incompatible. We made great friends, terrible partners. And so. And so you, so the divorce process was civil and kind, but not perfect. You had some anger and resentment and, sure. you know, frustration. So it's not to say that it's all going to be roses. No, it's going to, it's, I, I, I have said many times, I had probably one of the easiest divorces in the history of divorce. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It was brutal emotionally. Um, I don't think that there's any way that you go through divorce and get out of having to experience a lot of really negative emotion, right? That's just, divorce sucks. It's really, really, really hard. At the end of the day, it's not nearly as hard as staying in a bad marriage. Get out, but be kind. One of the things that helped me at times was at those moments when I was feeling anger or bitterness or resentment or whatever the negative emotion was, I would try to remember who my previous spouse was when I married her and and remember just offer grace i guess you know remember hey this is this is a really good human being in a lot of ways right you may not be my cup of tea anymore our relationship may not work unless you're talking about getting out of a marriage with a really really bad person and i'm going to say something and you can edit this out or not but there are people who will take offense to this when i hear anybody just blowing their former spouse up you know how there are those people who their former spouse is like Satan reincarnate. They're this horrible, terrible, they're the worst person in the world. And you're only hearing one side of the story. I look at that and I go, bull crap. Divorce is almost never one-sided, mm -hmm. right? It just isn't. And you have to be willing to own your part of the problem. Do I do that? Huh? No, you don't blow. No, no. You express the negative part. I mean, it's, it was a bad, horrible, traumatic experience for you, like it is with everybody, right? Yours, yours worse than me, your situation not nearly as bad as other people's situation, right? But when you hear about, I mean, I, I'll hear some people talk about their divorces, especially when there wasn't physical abuse, infidelity, you know, emotional abuse, that kind of thing. When, when it was, they fought constantly, the term, oh, this person is, has this personality disorder or that personality. This person is a total this, a total that, right? And it's like, you really need to step back and go, mm, yeah, but they probably weren't. Because what that tells me is you're a really, really shitty judge of character. If they are 100% narcissist, horrible this, horrible that, wow. You know. Okay, but I have thrown out the narcissist term. <laughs> no, but you, but you you know what I'm saying. Yes. I'm not saying that people don't find out deep into a relationship that they married a narcissist. No. But 
and even, even with narcissists, there are there are good things about them. Yes, and I acknowledge that. Even you know, it's not like it's all 100% bad all the time. It's the ratio of good to bad, you know, that makes it worth staying in or not. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not saying that you shouldn't get divorced. What I'm saying is people need to really take a step back and a take a hard look at themselves and be willing to accept responsibility for their involvement in the divorce, right? Because I think that that helps change your mindset. And instead of trying to blame the other partner for everything, when you can accept responsibility for the mistakes that you made in the marriage, it, it makes it easier to then afford them some latitude and say, mm -hmm. there was good things about them, right? I, I mean, just, just think in terms of how do you want them talking about you mm -hmm. after the divorce, yeah. right? Is it is it realistic for them to sit and do nothing but highlight everything negative about you and pretend like there was no good about you. And it's like, well, if there was no good in that person, why did you marry them? Because we didn't know them. Because <laughs> there was good in them. Yeah. And guess what? Just because you're going through a divorce doesn't mean there is no good left in the person, right? And the, the bad things about them don't necessarily have to define them. And if you let the bad things about them define them, you're going to be angry. All It's going to be much harder to get through the negative emotions so be willing to acknowledge the good. And I think that's one of the things that made it a little bit easier for my former spouse and me is because we we actually had talks while we were going through the divorce about the good things yeah. about each other and the good things in our relationship and the fact that we were going to miss those things um, and, and the regret that we felt over the fact that we couldn't find a way to develop the good things and, and maybe get rid of some of the bad things. But those conversations, I think, were really, really valuable because it's kind of like, yeah, this is a very, this is a, a good human being, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sad that I couldn't make my relationship with this really good human being work. Mm -hmm. But it changes the way you see divorce. <laughs>